Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Sasha and I'm a human. Welcome to Too Human for Words. Welcome to our very first episode of Two Human for Words. Come in, make yourself comfy, have a cup of tea, get a snack. I am so excited to be here. It's been such a long time coming. I'm also so anxious and nervous and just trying to make that anxiety okay. I'm trying to not make it wrong to be really anxious and nervous because This is one of those things that I've been working on for such a long time because it's so important to me and a lot of fear as well as life and health has gotten in the way. So I'm just trying to ride with it and acknowledge it and maybe be cool with it. Is that a thing? Is that possible? So I have a couple of chronic illnesses. I have fibromyalgia and ulcerative colitis. How this all came about was a few years ago when I was only diagnosed with fibromyalgia, uh, my mum got breast cancer. And at the beginning of her experience with it, I got really, really angry And I didn't know why. I had no idea why. I was just like a ball of rage for a little while. And finally, finally, it struck me that I had been struggling to feel validated and my experiences that had bedbound me for months on end and and really compromised my quality of life, uh, I had been really struggling to feel like they were really bad enough to be acknowledged and to really properly do something about and to explain to people, you know, was so hard. And so I'd struggled to feel like my experience was important enough. And then my mum got diagnosed with cancer and we had really similar experiences where if you were to actually take away the biology of it and the labels you could almost think that we had the same things, like we had symptoms like brain fog and fatigue and muscle and joint pain and gut issues. And we really struggled with everyday things like cooking and cleaning and working and socializing and commuting. Basic things were a struggle for both of us. So what I realized was that this anger, this horrible, poorly timed anger, uh, was just that I was seeing this like massive hole in the system. It was not to invalidate my mum at all. If anything, I wanted to raise the importance of chronic illness to being just as important as critical illness because I saw that what we don't talk about in society and we don't really recognize is that when quality of life is threatened, it is just as important as when your life is threatened. And it also means that our communities are so much bigger. It means that our support systems can be so much 
bigger. You know, it doesn't mean that we have to wait to meet someone with the exact same label we have to have someone we connect with. You know, there are so much experiences that we all have that overlap each other. You know, the big picture is going to be different, but there are details where we overlap. And this is so important. And this is real information. And how do we use that? And how can that help us do better? So here we are. I find this really exciting. I know this topic can seem like a bit of a downer because it's talking about being sick. However, I think there's so much we can do with this and just having conversations and looking at things differently really can impact life for absolutely everybody. It's not just about being sick. So to me, this is not some airy-fairy philosophical conversation and it's not a sad, really negative conversation. This is really exciting because it's actually going like, you know what, there are so many more areas that we're similar And we can really use that. That is really powerful information. So we're going to be brainstorming with guests and looking at the ways we connect and then also going, so from this experience, just, you know, let's throw some ideas out. What can we do? And we're going to go from there and see what happens. The other thing that's important to me is inclusion. I believe that anyone with a struggle that threatens quality of life or life-threatening or, you know, I feel like some people might not put it into that category, but is an imposing struggle for three months or longer is people that I want to include. So this has definitely come from my experience of chronic illness struggle and witnessing critical illness struggle, but I am going to open the doors to other conversations around human struggle as well because I really, really do believe that it all connects. Also, one of the things that makes me a bit scared about all of this is that I am learning and I know I'm still a very sensitive person and don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And for a period of time in my life, I felt like I was living under a rock and in my bubble, just, you know, dealing with being sick and life and family and all of those things. And so I know I'm going to say the wrong thing and I'm scared of being hurtful or insensitive, but you know, please let me know if you hear anything that's been said that is insensitive or hurtful or, you know, not the right term that we're, you know, coming to and learning about. Please let me know. And then we can all learn together to become more aware, compassionate, inclusive humans. So I'm really welcoming that. I am scared of stuffing up, but it's going to happen. So you can help me learn and we can all learn together. Now, You know how I said this has taken me a long time to get here? Well, the interviews for this first season were all done pre-COVID. So it doesn't make them less relevant, but please listen to them with that lens of knowing that we had no idea that COVID was coming at that point. These interviews were done in 2019. So, so, so close, so close to COVID. We had no idea what was coming at us and the world. And the other thing, you know, I'm going to be doing in this time of the intros and outros is to just do like a check-in, a bit of a health and a body check-in, let you know where I'm at and what's happening. All right. I feel like I've rambled. I've rambled. I've rambled. I've gone on for long enough. It's time to jump into the interview. We are going to hear from Andrew Taylor, Spudman, 
You might remember from a few years ago, he was the gentleman that ate potatoes for a year to help with his food addiction. So enjoy the interview and I'll see you on the other side. So I met you just by chance uh, not that long ago because I met your amazing wife who uh, we discovered through, I don't even know how, but we actually went to the same high school and we got talking and she's an amazing, talented lady. Yeah, she's far more interesting than me. So you should, she should be your next guest and, uh, and you can ask her about how she actually wrote the school song at the school that you went to. I felt like I was talking to a bit of a celebrity when she said she wrote my school song. Yeah, well. But when I was talking to her, I was telling her about what I was doing and that I was going to start this podcast and she was like, you have to talk to my husband. He's got a really cool story. So would you mind sharing with yeah, everyone yeah. what your story is? Because I didn't actually know about it when I first met you and and your wife and she was like, oh, you probably saw this on the news. And I was like, nope, I didn't <laughs> see any of it. I was think I was under a rock. And, and at the time, I, I think I was because I was – I was either really sick or looking after my family, so I missed a lot of what was going on in the world, but uh, it was in the news. Sorry that you were struggling during that time. <laughs> Sorry, that's how I got here with things <laughs> yeah, to yeah. say and well, share. That's, that's, yeah, there's, uh, every, every story presents an opportunity, so uh, yeah, good that that worked out that way for you. But uh, I realized I was a food addict and that all of my struggles with my weight over many, many years was the cause of it was an addiction issue rather than just simply focusing on numbers and all that sort of thing. It was it was an addiction and my behavior with food mimicked that of an alcoholic where you could quit alcohol for a week, a month, whatever, and then you'd tell yourself that, oh, one beer won't hurt tonight. And then, of course, one beer turns into waking up in a gutter somewhere and uh, and becoming a full-blown alcoholic again. So my behavior with food was along those lines and I figured that if, if the behavior is the same then and the problem is the same, then the treatment should be the same. So obviously you can't quit food like you can quit alcohol, but you can get close apparently. And I figured out that I could quit everything except potatoes and then and try to use that abstinence model as a treatment for my food addiction. And yeah, what I thought would be the most boring thing a person could possibly do ended up getting some attention and went viral. And you know, my 15 minutes of fame, well, my one year of fame, <laughs> yeah, it was a weird thing, but it, it changed my life and it changed my relationship with food. And and it turned out to be the best, most weird, most crazy and ridiculous and awesome year of my life. And even more weirdly, it, it evolved into what I do with my time now. It's my business and it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dedicated my life to helping other people that have the same issues. So it's, it's strange how life works. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it is always those things that you almost wish you didn't go through, but probably give you the most valuable lessons and you realize you had to go through them probably to end up where you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't like going through clinical depression and anxiety and I didn't like struggling so much with uh, my relationship with food and my weight and my health. Times were dark, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm really, what they say, pressure turns coals into diamonds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not trying to say that I'm a diamond or anything, but you know. It, that, Some that, might it, say that. that Some experience, might. Well, that experience improved me, put it that way. Yeah. So, well, it helps you to grow yeah. and, and yeah. see, yeah, I think it enriches life. Yeah, absolutely. Bit, it it certainly added value to mine and it, without those hard times, uh, I wouldn't be 
where I am and I'm very happy where I am. So This whole podcast is about talking from the perspective of chronic illness, but learning about how many things we all go through that are all extremely similar. And so how in the end, once we take away these labels, whether it's a diagnosis or a condition or an addiction or something, we have a lot of crossover similarities. We have, I sort of think of it like we're all a big puzzle and the puzzle, once you step back and look at it, might be different for each of us, but we actually share a lot of similar pieces. We might not all share the same pieces, but we share some. So in the bigger scheme of things, we actually have a much broader community than we think we do. And with what you've talked about with food addiction, there is a lot of mental health associated with it. I would love to learn about how you got to the point where you realized that mental health had a lot to do with it and, and how you started along the road. Yeah, I really like that puzzle analogy. I haven't heard it put like that before, but it is really good. Yeah, different puzzles obviously have different solutions, but I was, you've got me thinking now. Can I'd just like to talk about that a bit more sure. because I, I was thinking, okay, puzzles. Yeah, you got me thinking about puzzles. And if you've got a puzzle and um, and you're trying to solve it, the, the steps that you take to solving the puzzle are always the same, aren't they? No matter mm-hmm. what kind of puzzle you're solving, you always, well, I don't know, for me, I don't do puzzles that often, <laughs> but, but I always look for the straight bits so you can find the corners first and find the borders first, get that done, and then you look for the bits that have got all the same colors and you group them all together and then work through it that way and yeah i reckon this this health this whole health issue no matter what your problem is it's sort of a similar process to find the solution you got to you got to sort out the easy bits first and you know get the basics right which mm-hmm. is which would be your borders and sorting everything out into the right colors and then and then you can sort of drill down a little bit from there so anyway that's just a <laughs> just a thought that i had to get out that you planted in my head yeah no i think <laughs> so. it is true because sometimes we start with looking for not the cure but like what medication or what sort of we we look almost too far into like what pill can we take to fix it mm. rather than going or well, what what are the bits around the edges what symptoms can we help first before mm. we sort of make the assumption of, of what the outcome or result or whether it's a diagnosis or whatever is, you know, rather than looking at it, it's like how does the whole picture fit together? Yeah, yeah. And if you if like every puzzle is going to have a hard little bit that, you know, look at that bit, that bit's going to be hard. <laughs> if you get straight into trying to solve that bit, then it's not going to happen. But if you solve all the bits around it first and then leave that bit to last, then it all just falls into place, you know, it just it gets easier and yeah, the path becomes clear. So, and you can't you can't solve that bit from the start. But what can you do? Pick the bit you can do, and the bit you can do is find the edge bits. That's you know everyone can do that. So anyway, I've forgotten what the question was that goes with that bit. Sorry, <laughs> I, to, I digress. Oh, that's fine. I'm happy to digress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting because I haven't talked about that metaphor too much. So it's yeah. good to sort of like weed yeah, it out. I, I love these bit. sort of ideas. I love different ways of thinking about things. <laughs> and um, you you piqued my interest there, and now I've distracted and uh, and good. taken us completely off course. So excellent. It's up to you to get us back since you're the host. So. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you connected that your food addiction had to do with mental health. And at what point did you connect them and go, well, if this is an addiction, how do we treat it in this way? But also understand it as having a really strong connection with mental health. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. So that's really people want to focus on the weight loss and the the health change and all that. And, you know, the reason that it all went viral is because I did this 
crazy thing where I ate only potatoes and, uh, and the media got hold of it when I was losing weight where, despite you know the common perception of potatoes being uh, something that makes you fat but I was losing weight what the hell's going on everyone wants to focus on the weight but for me it was an addiction issue um, and that started from uh, I basically I had a month where I did really really well I was uh, I was exercising I was eating perfectly I was losing weight things are going well and at the end of the month I thought I'm just going to reward myself I've had a really good month and just like I've done a thousand other times, I'm going to reward myself. And um, and I thought, I'll just have a slice of pizza for dinner. I uh, ordered a home-delivered whole pizza because you can't order home-delivered pizza by the slice, of course. You can see where this is going already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, long story short, one slice of pizza turned into the whole family-sized pizza. Don't ask me why I ordered a family-sized pizza when I only wanted one slice. I could have ordered a small pizza, but, you know. Yeah, but I understand <laughs> yeah. that sort of mindset. If you're yeah. going to do it, you just yeah, like, yeah. oh, so, leftovers or something. Yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah, there's, we, we have a little voice in our heads that tells us, like, is very convincing and, yeah, it doesn't want the best for us. But anyway, of course, I ate the whole family-sized pizza followed by ice cream and soft drink and all of this and then, the next day, I didn't do any of the things that I said I was going to do. I, I told myself that it's okay, I'll just do it just this once and I'll, I'll get up early and do some extra exercise and I'll get back onto my diet tomorrow. And you know all of these promises that I made myself in, in exchange for eating the pizza, of course I didn't keep those promises. Who does? No one mm-hmm. ever does. So I was feeling really down and really sorry for myself about yet another healthy uh, eating experiment gone wrong and another failure just to, to add to the long list of failures. And and I was, yeah, feeling sorry for myself. I thought, I'll just, I'm just going to have a beer. It was the early afternoon. So I went to the fridge and got a beer. And as I sat down, I sat down and cracked the beer. I can remember vividly. I sat and opened the beer at the same time. And as I sat down into the couch, it suddenly hit me that the way I'm behaving with food, the way I have behaved with food my whole life is the same as the way an alcoholic would uh, behave with alcohol. And that old story of the alcoholic who can go X number of days or months, weeks, years, whatever, and then best friend's wedding. I'm going to have a, a beer because I deserve it or because it, I should be celebrating or whatever. It's the top of a slippery slope and it never ends well. If it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. So, <laughs> yeah, that made total sense to me. And for the first time in my life in that moment where it just hit me like a ton of bricks and suddenly everything made sense. And at first, that was a really scary thought and, I, and it would made me feel even worse because like an alcoholic can quit alcohol or a heroin addict can quit heroin. It's not saying that food addiction is as bad as those things. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, depending mm. on your view. But at least it's a difficult but simple solution at the same time. You know, it's very yeah. hard to stop taking heroin, but at least it's a simple idea. Just don't take heroin. And with food, it's like you can't just stop. Not drinking alcohol, it's just one decision to make. Do I drink or do I not? with food it, there's still so many decisions to make you can't just quit so that was the moment where I realized that this is not a weight problem it's not a numbers problem it's not something that I can fix with measuring and counting and, and willpower and whatever everyone talks about portion control less eat less move more all of that this is a an addiction issue and a behavioral issue and we've got a well-established solution for all other addictions so it just made sense that if the if the behavior is the same then Surely the treatment should be the same as well. Yeah, so that's where it came from. So why potatoes? Yeah, well, I wasn't initially thinking potatoes. I was, I was as surprised as anyone else when, <laughs> <laughs> when that came up. But I did a lot of research and my first thing I did was uh, when I had this idea, I thought, uh, okay, well, I need to find out, first of all, is there a food that I can eat on its own and that will sustain me and keep me healthy physically? I, I had no idea if this was a good idea 
for any other reason, but I just wanted to make sure it was a physical health thing that was, you know, my physical health would be okay. And then hopefully it would do what I wanted from an addiction point of view. I picked up my laptop and I just did a search for what is the perfect food, the perfect food for humans, I think it was. I can't remember exactly what the search term was. It was a few years ago. First thing that came up was a video by a guy called Dr. John McDougall on YouTube, and it was called Potatoes, the Perfect Food. And it was a four minute long video where he explained the history of potatoes and the science and everything. And I, I watched it and I was just totally amazed that what the hell potatoes are we being like my reaction was the same as everyone else who saw me on you know when i went viral what the hell this guy's eating potatoes that doesn't make sense and that was what i thought when i first saw this video potatoes the perfect food are you kidding me Mm -hmm. but it sent me down a rabbit hole and i've got a science degree it's not a nutrition science degree but it is a science degree which gives me an advantage over the lay person because i'm i'm able to evaluate study design i'm able to interpret data and statistics and all of this and you know i'm able to understand how science works better than most people since I have studied it. So I didn't just watch this video and that was my decision. I, that just started me on the, on the path and sent me down a rabbit hole. And I spent six weeks reading a lot of science, uh, watching online lectures from Dr. John McDougall and as well as many other nutrition scientists and researchers and doctors. And uh, I read books and yeah, the main thing was just getting into the scientific literature and, uh, and there was a lot of science to back up the fact that potatoes can provide everything you need. They've done it. You know, the Irish population is a, is a perfect mm. example. They lived for a couple of centuries not on only potatoes but on very close to only potatoes and they went through a population boom and were very big, strong, fit, healthy people. Yeah, there are plenty of examples like that. There's a, a marathon running couple were studied in the 20s, 1920s. Uh, I think they were Polish this is, again, it's a long time since I read the study, but but they did six months of eating only potatoes and were followed and studied that during that time. And they both ran personal best marathons at the end of six months on only potatoes. Yeah, there's just the the evidence was endless that uh, yeah, and it was obvious once I'd done all that research that potatoes was the obvious choice. As far as I'm aware, I'm the first person who's done anything like this uh, for the reasons that I've done it. People have lived on only potatoes, but not because they were trying to deal with a, an addiction issue, just because out of necessity more than anything. And I was doing it by choice, trying to solve an addiction problem. So I didn't know what was going to happen, and I just had to find out. And so you accidentally became viral. Your wife, Mandy, told me that you were just putting the videos up onto YouTube as a way of journaling your experience and sort of forgot to put it on private. Yeah, that's pretty much how it <laughs> happened. Yeah. So it was her fault, actually. <laughs> it's entirely her fault. Yeah, she suggested that I should be journaling so that I've got something to look back on and um, and see what I've done over the course of a year. And I thought that was a good idea, but at the same time, I had tried journaling before and, and I was not good at it. Over quite a few times of trying, my best effort was two weeks straight of journaling. So I figured that I would like to journal, but having the pressure of trying to eat only potatoes, that's hard enough without adding into it that I want to journal as well. It's an extra layer of effort that I would have to do. I thought it was just too much. So I said, oh, good idea, but I can explain that. And, and she said, well, how about if you just get your phone out every day and just talk to it, make a little video and, you, and that can be your journaling. That'll be easier. I thought, yeah, that's, that's simple. I can do that. That's no problem at all, but I'm going to run out of storage on my phone pretty quickly. So what am I going to do? And she said, just upload it to YouTube and store it there. And exactly, yeah, just put it on private and no one will see it. <laughs> and yeah, I thought, okay, cool, I can do that. And um, it went viral. And <laughs> it was not on private Yeah, yeah. That. Well, obviously, I didn't understand YouTube. <laughs> I, I, I assumed that you would have to choose to make it public. 
but it's the other way around. You have to choose to make it private. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just assumed that, yeah, anyway, whatever. It, it went viral and um, and it was a surprise that anyone was interested because I, cu- I couldn't believe that a guy eating only potatoes, I was like, what could be more boring than that? But <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. But there's obviously something in it that people really connect to um, because I think it's something that whether you identify as having a food addiction or not, you can relate to something in life whether it's food or something that has a hold over you that is what you lean on or everybody has a body everybody has a brain we can't really escape that so no one no one's immune to those things and we all have to deal with our mental health we have to deal with you know so many things in life so that had to be something in that story that connected with a lot of people initially I think it was really just a freak show you know that's all it was it was just hey look at this idiot (laughs) that was was really what got the attention in the beginning and yeah when that happened I was like I had a choice to make and it was do I want to do this you know when the journalist first rang me and I was like oh really I don't I don't think I want to talk about this and then yeah it was like okay maybe I should maybe there are other people around that could be helped by this and maybe this is something that's bigger than me and I was fully aware you know I'm not naive I was fully aware that I was getting into something that I was just going to be a laughing stock I figured that was it was worth taking a hit for the chance to maybe share a message that might help someone else. When I first started this, I thought I was the only person in the world that was having this problem. I, right. I didn't I didn't feel like I was doing anything that could help anyone. I thought I was a, a weirdo freak that was struggling with something that only I struggle with. And, so um, strange how our brains do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it turned out pretty quickly that I was getting lots and lots of messages, like hundreds of messages every day from people all around the world that were dealing with food addiction. And I thought food addiction was something I came up with. I didn't know that it was thing that, you know, I was very naive. I didn't think it was a thing to the point where people say, oh, did you try Food Addicts Anonymous first? <laughs> I was like, that exists? What? <laughs> I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that I would have tried it if I, I just didn't even contemplate that, that was a thing. So, yeah. you know, I didn't know that there was other people out there who were food addicts. So I just thought it was something I came up with. I didn't even look into food addiction at all. I just was looking into can I survive on one kind of food and yeah I guess the the freak show side of things helped to get the message out there and helped to make it a bigger story than it would have otherwise been obviously part of it there was a lot of people that just wanted to laugh at me but then it cut through and uh, there was a lot of people that were uh, connecting with it too so it was worth it to get to some people and help some people yeah. Well it's probably such an interesting story as well because for quite a, a deep issue it's like you've come up with quite a simple solution. It must have been quite fascinating to everyone that this issue that plays a part in I think almost everyone's life in some way or another uh, you've you've come up with this really like simple solution that is almost sounds too good to be true. Well, it is too good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> On the surface, it's a very simple solution, but there's a lot of work and effort that goes into the mindset that's behind it. If somebody could lock you in a room and just three times a day put potatoes through a hole in the door and then you would eat them and you'd have no choice, that is simple. That's the only choice, so that's all you eat, but that's not the way life is. So navigating life in the real world and continuing to come back to this decision to choose potatoes when there are so many more options out there that's the hard bit eating potatoes is simple in theory but actually doing it and making it work is the hard bit and that the first two weeks of that year were the hardest thing I've ever done and I learned a lot got through it and things ended up better for me on the surface it's a simple thing and it is simple the the simplest solutions are often the best it's like a Below the surface, there's a lot more uh, 
effort and and that's where it's at that's that's the point of the whole challenge yeah i read on your website that you well i think it was your website you can correct me if i'm wrong that you said to was it your friends and family when you'd go to dinner and you would take your own potatoes you would explain what you were doing and their reactions you didn't quite expect to be what they were part of it was when i started I didn't want, I wanted to try to keep it secret, basically. Obviously, I did a pretty bad job of that, but <laughs> I didn't want, I couldn't have done a worse job the now. Worst I think kept about secret. it. <laughs> but I didn't want to tell anyone. It wasn't something where I was just going around telling everyone, hey, I'm eating only potatoes. I was really embarrassed about it. You know, I thought it was a ridiculous thing that I've arrived at a point in my life where the only solution I can see to this problem is that I should eat only potatoes. It just felt ridiculous and I didn't want to go and share that with everybody. One thing I realized early on was that every decision I'd made around food in my life to that point in time had led me to being 152 kilos. And I came to the realization early on that basically every decision I'd made around food was wrong and I can't trust myself. From that point of view, if I feel like I don't want to tell anyone, then that must be the wrong thing to do. So, you know, I had to just accept I'm wrong. I'm like, I want to keep this a secret. I don't want to tell anyone. If that's what I want, then it's obviously wrong. So I have to do the opposite. So I did. I told everyone. I told, I didn't just say, hey, I'm eating only potatoes. I told not everyone. I didn't just walk around the streets telling everyone. But when I was at dinner with family and friends, you know, my instinct was to go, okay, how can I get through this without anybody noticing what I'm doing? Can I like you know, feed my food to the dog under the table while no one's looking and they'll think I ate. I don't know. What can I do? I, I couldn't come up with plan. I couldn't think of what how I could get through a dinner with friends and family and only eat potatoes without anybody noticing. And then, yeah, I realized, no, I'm wrong. If that's what I want to do, then it must be wrong. I have to do the opposite. What's the opposite? Opposite is to tell them everything and be totally open and honest and vulnerable and, and just explain that um, at that point, my wife was the only other person that knew I was suffering with depression and anxiety. My wife was the only other person that knew that I had I was dealing with food addiction as a major contributor to those things. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to put it all out on the table, pardon the pun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I did. And I just explained the whole situation to everyone. And I called ahead for that first meal with a bunch of friends. And I said, don't cook anything for me. I'm eating only potatoes. And they thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, whatever. We'll do that. And then when I turned up, there was jokes flying around and all this sort of stuff because that's what we do. Yeah, when we all sat down or in the same place and people are joking about me eating only potatoes and stuff, and I said, okay, here's where, here's what's going on. And I just poured my heart out and told everyone I'm suffering here and, and it's a struggle and explained my reasons and told them that don't expect anything from anyone. I don't expect anyone to do anything differently but this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. The jokes all stopped from that point. The jokes weren't a huge concern to me, but they didn't do anything differently other than they just stopped joking about it. And that was it. It was just a simple thing. It wasn't a big deal for anyone. It was if I went to dinner, they made potatoes for me. And if we went out somewhere, they just made sure it was somewhere that had potatoes. And it okay. was pretty simple. <laughs> you yeah. know? It was a nice feeling. So would yeah. you say the respect for what you were doing changed when you disclosed yeah, what yeah, you were really doing until i opened up and let people see broken man that i was people that love you want the best for you they don't want to see you suffer and there was nothing they had to do for me other than just allow me to be me without joking about it that was all and, and that's what they did and it was perfect of course when you explain to people you love if you're doing something that's really important to you whether they understand it or not as long as they if they love you and they want you to be happy and be successful and feel good about yourself and enjoy life and, and not be like a suicidal mess, then yeah, they're going to just 
support you and allow you to do what you think you need to do. And, and if they don't, then, well, it's, it's good that you found that out. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by how when we give ourselves the permission to be more real or human, however you want to say it, it gives other people that permission. Did you see that happen when you were sharing your story? I connected with mates on a, on a whole new level. It wasn't just exactly me opening up and saying, yeah, I'm struggling and life's hard and I'm not dealing with it very well and I and here's something I'm trying to do to make things better. Yeah, I had mates, they didn't open up to the whole group like I did, but they opened up to me. I had some really very special conversations that I've never shared with anyone because they obviously told me on my own for a reason, but there are things that I know about a few of my mates that they don't know about each other that they've told me separately and... <laughs> I would never share it without permission, but yeah, I wish they would speak to each other as well. And they're going through similar stuff. It, it was cool for me anyway. It was nice to be able to help and just mainly, well, not that I did much to help, just listening is helping. So, Well, I, yeah. I think it is. I think we undervalue listening as a way of support in such a big way. And all these things that I think make us the most similar are the things that we hide the most and feel the most shame over. So what do we do to sort of shift the culture so that we don't feel so much shame over these things and maybe can release them so they're not such, you know, burdens? Yeah, yeah. Well, culture is shifting, I think. It makes me feel, well, feel good's the wrong way to say it, I guess. But every now and then you see a story in the paper or whatever of, um, of a footballer who's taking time off for mental health issues. I don't feel good to see that. Uh, I feel sad for the person but it also makes me feel good that that's a conversation that we're having and that there's a big tough manly man in the manliest manly of sports <laughs> and they're saying hey I'm struggling and I need some time off and that sort of gives permission for other people to to do the same thing I think we've got a long way to go I couldn't imagine even five years ago even if someone did take time off for mental health issues in the newspaper they would have told you they pulled a hamstring or something so they didn't have to talk about it it's open now and things are changing that conversation's changing but there's still obviously a very long way to go it's an important conversation to have and it yeah I don't think people don't really understand that everyone's going through struggles and if they're not then they have at some point in time you, you either are or you will again or everyone's dealing with their own stuff and people understand people only want to help and people want you to feel good and no one's going to make fun of you and, and if they do then like I said it's good to find out that people will make fun of you because then you you know something and you know yeah, who to avoid and I have some more questions to ask you yep. about that in a second but I thought if you don't mind we'll pause for a, a bit on our conversation yeah we'll keep, we'll keep rolling we won't stop yeah. rolling <laughs> but I would like to play this quick little game with you okay I like games <laughs> <laughs> I, this is also an excuse for me to play more games right. like 100% <laughs> so this is what I call the D&M game because okay. I like to D&M which is yep. you know perfect segue into doing this podcast yep yep um and so this is just like a, a lucky dip into this box and it's All got right. a whole range of more light-hearted dm questions right. pick one or two out we'll both answer them and then we'll keep rolling okay i'm scared right. but let's do it don't be scared <laughs> don't be scared oh what is the most embarrassing thing that has happened to you recently? These days, <laughs> I don't really get embarrassed these days it's you know and it was a thing in the past really but you know when you've had the most embarrassing thing that you could possibly have shared to the entire world. Yeah, you, you sort of <laughs> you yeah. get over embarrassment pretty quick. I guess that probably is the most embarrassing okay. thing when my story about the addiction, I was very, very embarrassed and ashamed of it. Yeah, it went viral and 
I was getting yelled at across the street. Hey, Spudman. And oh. Hey. Like just walking down the street, wow. it was like, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just, you know, doing my shopping. And everyone I see knows that I've got this problem that I really didn't want anyone at all to ever know about. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty hard. It makes but, you face your humanness, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, when yeah. people know these But, you know, the beautiful things. thing was that I didn't, I never got made fun of in the street. I got recognized thousands of times. And, you know, like I said, a car drive, I remember more than once a car driving past and someone hanging out the window going, hey, it's Batman. But, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. But never once got made fun of in the street. That's a couple of years ago now. <laughs> so not that recent, but that's the most recent thing I can think of that was embarrassing was, yeah, that. So In my head, I've been trying to weigh up whether this is like a TMI. Never. But one of the things I have is a bowel disease. And so I feel like you get used to yep. TMI conversations. Anyway, one of the things that I do is I um, I host pub trivia nights. It's one of my jobs. Oh, cool. Yeah. And recently, and this is the TMI part, I'd just gone to the bathroom and I don't know about other girls, but I feel like you can't sit on a public toilet unless you've like laid out the toilet paper along (laughs) the toilet seat and so I came back ready to start the night and one of the amazing regulars came up behind me and gave me a hug and was like you've got toilet paper (laughs) like a tail of toilet paper and uh I was like you know what thank you so much for telling me because like I probably would have been mortified a few years ago or last year but in that moment I was like you know what I'm just so glad that you told me yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it was embarrassing but I also let it go pretty quickly because I was like man you know what can you do sometimes you just have a toilet paper yeah yeah everyone has these these problems from time to time you know (laughs) exactly it's just one of those days (laughs) just one of those days so do you want to pick out the second one yeah yeah I'll go and mix them up a bit what's something that you're secretly really proud of yeah, again, I'm, it's not real. I don't really secretly really proud. Maybe of, it doesn't have to be a secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a secret. I'm pretty proud of just taking on this challenge and doing something that's outside the box. Having a, a creative solution to a simple problem, I'm pretty proud of all that. And uh, I guess that's not really secret though. So I feel that's like that's a cop okay. out. That's um, yeah. I don't, I'm not a secretive guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is I a was, bad thing. I was a secretive guy, but I put a lot of effort into changing the way I think about life and about myself. Maybe that's what I'm secretly proud of, the effort that I've put into changing myself so that I don't really feel the need to keep secrets. And, and I'm happy to let people know who I am and what I am and how I got here and... Uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. So there you go. Is that a secret? I don't know. That's but, awesome. Yeah. I think that's great. <laughs> I'm very proud of it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you should be. I feel like it definitely challenges the culture yeah. right now, especially. I don't know if I have anything that I'm secretly proud of, but I, I think I'm proud of doing this podcast because I've had a lot of fears associated with doing it. So I think yeah. right now this is probably the thing that's at the front of my mind. Yeah, we should be proud of it. Anything, (laughs) my big thing that I talk about with a lot of the people that I coach is, yeah, it doesn't matter what you think or what you feel or what you hope or dream or wish for or any of that. None of it matters. And all that matters in life, all that matters in life is what you do. And so you're doing something. So it's probably taken me almost two years to do this. So probably a bit more from the idea from deciding it would be a podcast almost two years so that's in the past <sighs> you're, you're here now we're doing it and the doing is the thing like yeah it's uh the the way we judge other people is the way that we judge ourselves it's the same thing mm. and the way the only thing you can judge other people on is what they do because you don't know what they feel what they think what they hope what they wish for what they dream about anything all you know, all you can judge other people on is what they do well you judge people that you've never you judge someone on the other side of the street 
by what they look. But the people by what they look like, I mean, that's the only thing you've got yeah. to go on. But when you get to know someone, then you judge them by what they do. And that's the only thing you can judge them on. And I think in the end, that's the way you judge yourself as well. You judge yourself by what you do. And I think you've got to give yourself a bit of a break on it too. You know, it's only natural to judge people on how they look. We don't want to do it and we shouldn't judge people on how they look, but it's just a human instinct. It's like we're built to do that. We've got to try to come up with judgments of situations. We're living in the wild. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to quickly make assumptions on different situations so that we can make decisions quickly and move forward and all that. So, you know, it's sort of hardwired into us, but it's good to when you catch yourself judging people to be able to stop yourself and remember it's not helpful in this day and age. That idea, a, though, yeah. of recognizing what is, what's the word, innate and what is a cultural norm, I mm. think is interesting. How, like how it affects our, our mental state or, or our thought processes, what is biology and what isn't. Like you were saying before, how you felt like the only person that was going through this thing that you decided to call food addiction. What is it about our brains that? goes towards thinking that we're the only ones that go through something what is it that goes towards isolation before it makes the assumption of oh you know what other people probably feel this too yeah well i think it's a tribe thing back to our evolution back to you know hunter gatherer days we got a tribe if you don't have a tribe then you die it's that simple we need to do whatever we can to remain part of the tribe if you've got some sort of weakness then there's a chance you'll get left behind and then you've got no tribe and you're done. And so whatever you perceive as a weakness doesn't obviously necessarily mean the people around you perceive it as a weakness. You know, it's the, it's an instinct to keep it to yourself because you don't want the tribe to go, well, you're not used to us anymore, see you later. It's a tough one, but yeah. uh, it's sort of an ingrained thing. But I think it's part of our evolution that we need to project invincibility. Invincibility is valuable to the tribe. If you're the tough one that can go and get stuff done and lead the way and show everyone that you're the boss and you're not afraid and you can go and bring back the feed or whatever it is that you're trying to do, you can build the shelter, you can fight off the dangers and all that. Yeah, you're valuable to the tribe. But if you're someone who is, you know, has a, some sort of weakness that means that you're a, you're a liability, then maybe they'll let you go and maybe you're on your own and that's a problem. So yeah, I think it's just a, an ingrained evolutionary thing that means that we want to keep those things to ourselves. So, mm. yeah. And those belief systems aren't relevant anymore. That, exactly. you know, they're not weaknesses. And I feel like there is this movement at the moment. I don't know what you would call it. You could call it like the authenticity movement or whatever. I feel like to me, it's about us becoming more human, giving ourselves permission to be more accepting of our humanness and these things that we perceive as weaknesses is actually the things that we have most in common. And if we are more open and vulnerable and authentic with that, I have a theory that that will become the new strong and that will become the new leader of the pack in a way because there's less to lose if you're already in that space of finding comfort in your vulnerability and your authenticity whereas if you're trying to hang on to something that isn't real and isn't really you and white picket fence at all there's much further to fall up mm. you know if if that's taken down yeah 100 percent. for most of us the the biggest fear that we have is that people will know our deepest darkest secrets and people will know what we're afraid of and what our weaknesses are and all that and then that's the biggest fear we want to keep those hidden so what could be braver than to put your biggest fear out into the world and just leave it there for people to laugh at and mock and you know trample all over and troll you yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. What, what could be 
what could be braver than to just own that and face up to it and say, here I am, I've, I've got problems and I don't, don't deal with them very well and here it is. There's nothing braver than that in my eyes. So yeah, it already is the new strong from my point of view. Um, so in your work, you do coaching. What is it that you found through your coaching that has, I guess, made the biggest difference with people or even like in yourself with what you've been through that now you do with people? The whole coaching that I do, the whole point of all the coaching that I do is it's all aimed at removing emotion, removing the need for willpower, removing all the stories and the lies that we tell ourselves about whatever's going on and it's really the essence of it is that we we need to learn to see reality and accept reality for what it is. Yeah, remove the emotions and the stories and everything else that comes with it and just see and accept the, the cold, hard reality of the way life is and act on it. You know, it's easy to tell ourselves stories about why it's a good idea to have one little bit of chocolate cake just this once and then I'll get back to my healthy eating tomorrow and I'll um, I'll get up extra early and exercise to work it off and, you know, we can bargain with ourselves, you know, believe all this bullshit basically that we tell ourselves over and over again. Yeah, when you can look at those things and understand that, hey, if I actually eat this one little bit one last time, that might be the thousandth one last time. <laughs> you know, when is going to actually be the one last time? This is not. There's What's a little voice. The yeah, there's a little voice in your head that knows exactly what you're doing, and they know exactly what the pattern is. And the, that little voice in the back of your head speaks quietly, but confidently, but quietly, and and says, "This is not going to be the last time. This is not going to be just one little bit. This one little bit will turn into the mother of all blowouts. You know that's going to happen before you do it. There's a bigger voice in the front of your head." that's saying, go on, eat it. It's fun. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. That little voice in the back of your head understands reality and that's, and it's just learning to listen to that voice properly. Yeah. That's really all it is. Everything I do, every little exercise that I come up with, with my clients, every little strategy and tool, it's all aimed at that. Just learning to see reality and accept it and act on it. You said earlier, so you, before you started the process that you had clinical depression and anxiety. Were you surprised on how it actually helped your mental health? Recognised with this a physical sort of food, you know, did you go into it with the intention of, oh, this will, this will help or, or was it a sort of byproduct? Yeah, yeah, I was very surprised. I had basically given up on finding a solution for my depression um, and my mental health. I just thought uh, that's just something I'm going to have to deal with. Yeah, it sucks, but I can live with it. You know, I had a young boy, a wife, they needed me and I was just accepting the fact that I'm just going to have to push on through life and do what I've got to do to make life good for them and um, and just accept that mine's going to be no good. So yeah, that was not on my radar, finding a solution for that. But I, would, I remember noticing after maybe two weeks, two and a half weeks, I had two good days in a row and that never happened. I was like, what's going on here? I've had two good days in a row. I'd had good days, but most of my days were down black, miserable days but, and I'd have the occasional good day. Mm-hmm. But then I had two in a row and I was like, wow, that's a, that's a bit weird. But I didn't think much more of it. I just thought that's, that's strange. I remember, I think it was probably about a month or six weeks in and I thought, oh, I think this has been a pretty good week, actually. What is this? And this is worth paying attention to. Two good days in a row is like just interesting, but a whole week in a row, that is like, what is this? I don't know. So I'd, then I started researching the links between nutrition and depression. And it, there's very, very strong links, it turns <laughs> out. There's even in the last couple of years since I did this, not saying I had any influence of it, it's just something that happened by coincidence, but 
there's um, nutritional psychiatry or psychology is, is now a thing where people are trained professional psychologists are using diet now in place of antidepressants. I'm not saying to people who are listening, you should pay attention to what your doctors and psychologists say, but there are people that are doing this. Yeah, a big part of it is that eating the right food produces the right environment in your digestive system to produce uh, serotonin. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the antidepressant medication operates on, on the serotonin that's produced in your brain, but only 5% of serotonin production in your body happens in your brain and the other 95% happens in your digestive system. So if you get the, the gut microbiome right, then you can create a good environment for producing serotonin and obviously then that's going to have a huge impact on mental health. So that was a massive part of it. And then obviously the other part of it was that I was, was being successful at something and I was following through on something that I wanted to do. And that was something that rarely happened up to that point. So they were both big factors. I tend to think that the nutrition was a bigger factor. But yeah, obviously following through and doing something that I said I, I wanted to do was also a big factor. So, And when you were talking to people about this and you found people coming to you with things that they'd never shared with anyone before was there any crossovers with like mental health or sharing things about what the experience or their own sort of life experience and with health and mental health that that you don't think you would have heard about but otherwise yeah yeah definitely people knowing that I was suffering like if you know that someone's going through a, a problem that you are also going through then of course you're more likely to share it with them because you you're looking for someone who will understand if you share a problem with someone who's also got the same problem then you can be pretty sure they're not going to laugh at you and that's the main thing so mm. <laughs> I think that's all it is they just people want to tell someone they people desperately want to tell people but they also don't want to be laughed at and that's so they yeah. don't they don't Tell it's anyone. a feeling alone thing. They don't want to yeah, feel alone in it. Of course. You tell someone who's had the same experience, they're not going to laugh at you. <laughs> so no. it's an easy, well, it's not, still not easy, but it's easier to tell that person. So I think that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty simple. And um, and yeah, it was, it was nice though to have those conversations and hopefully it helped people. I think that talking about a problem doesn't solve the problem, but it, it takes away some of the weight of the problem yeah. and it, then it allows you to act on it. And acting is the the thing, you know, when you can get outside your head and get something off your chest it sort of lightens the load a bit and then you're able to do something i think that's really the main reason talking about these problems is good because it gets you to the doing stage quicker because you've got two boys don't you mm -hmm. two boys do you think it's affecting how you're raising them because i'm sure it would be so different in like how you're teaching them in comparison how you were taught yeah it's it's having a, a huge impact yeah it all started because of my my boy actually that the whole experience started because of my older boy who was two at the time and the long the long story short is that I realized one day that no matter what I did he was going to grow up to be just like me I'd, I'd seen it too many times as a teacher in parent teacher interviews that kids end up like their parents so that was the scariest thing I could possibly think of for my son to turn out like me and so that was the catalyst to do something about it and you know back to that story from the beginning where I did a month of really good eating and good fitness work and I lost weight and then it ended with that pizza binge that we talked about well that mm -hmm. month started because of him I was just absolutely determined that I had to do something to change me so that I could become someone that I would be proud of him becoming and then that month happened and everything came crashing down at the same time it was like this can't be the end of it because it's not about me anymore it's about him I have to keep going and find the solution to this I, I can't just wallow in this and let it become six months of binging like it would have in the past 
I have to do something about it. So then I, I kept on working on this solution that I ended up coming up with. And um, really for me, it, it's it's all about leading by example. It's like, I don't really, of course I try to teach them both, you know, the right way to behave and the, how to treat people nicely and all of that. But really kids become their parents. Mm-hmm. They, it's invariable. It happens every time. The kids become their parents. Of course there are, you know, differences, but the core of a person is usually nearly always just like their parents. So mm-hmm. all I need to do is just be the person I would I'd be proud of them becoming and it's, you know, ninety five percent of the battle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's a really big thing and also the way that culture's shifting and a masculinity is shifting as well. You can see it becoming really important, just that awareness of how much kids pick up. Yeah, well the masculinity thing is a is a big thing at the moment as well obviously and and it goes back to you know we've already talked about this in in other forms but what what is it to be masculine well you know the first thing most people think of is to be strong and brave and all of that well okay what what is it to be strong and brave what do we admire in men you know the men that we look up to the thing that we admire most in men is when they help people that are vulnerable when you see a fireman carrying a baby out of a burning building it's someone's helped someone that's weaker than them and that's bravery and you know it's not about saying look at me I'm I'm the toughest I'm the bravest it's about doing things to help people mm-hmm. and um and it's about being open and honest and being vulnerable and um and yeah just doing things that are hard to do that's what um, masculinity is it's not about being invincible and being um yeah I don't know if I'm explaining this properly but it's it's not about being tough and invincible it's about doing things that are hard to do and um and helping people that need help yeah yeah i think it's an awesome lesson yeah Yeah. before we wrap up i'd like to ask you a few questions that are what i'm calling my thesis questions so they're the questions that i'll ask everybody at the end of each interview zeroing in on what we can do to make things better. So the first question I have is to acknowledge what's working because I think to build new, we have to acknowledge what foundation is really good and working. So what do you think is good about the system? And by system, I mean social system as in community or health care or politics or sort of whatever system I think you're probably most affected by. Yeah, I think that what's really good about, especially in Australia, is that everyone has access to help. If, if they want it, whatever the problem is, there's always help there. And yeah, it's, it's available to everyone for free if you want it. And most of the help that you need, not always, but especially from a mental health point of view, I don't know if everyone listening knows, but you can get 10 appointments for free with a psychologist and then you can probably get more than that afterwards if you want it. If you tick some of the boxes. Yeah, yeah. I got it for free when I started. I called Beyond Blue and you know I talked to them on the phone and then I talked to the Black Dog Institute and then I got put in touch with a psychologist and I got a lot of great help and, and it was all for free and it was easy. There's a lot of people out there that want to help. So and that counts for a lot of different, um, not just mental health. You know, in Australia, we've just got access to a lot of help that's there for free and, and it's easy. If you're taking the step and actually deciding to do something about your own problem, that's the hard bit. But when you decide that, there are a lot of services and people out there that are ready and willing to help. So, yeah, I think that's something that we've really got right. Definitely. Uh, okay, so if you could change anything about the system in any way, what would you change? This is a big, it's a big question. Big question. It's a big question. I think the biggest problem with 
the system in general, not just the health system in Australia, but the system in Australia is that the people that are running our system, our political system, our healthcare system, whatever it is, these are people that are there because they want to be there and they want power and they they are easily corrupted because they seek power they not saying that's all they seek you know they want to try and improve the country and all that but a big part of what motivates a lot of people is power so i have a left field solution to that okay which is probably never going to happen but what i would like to see is that people that get into like public office positions of power should a prerequisite should be that you don't want the job (laughs) (laughs) i think if you let's say I, you know, at the next election, I nominate Sasha for health minister mm-hmm. and Sasha says, no, no, I don't want it. Don't, yeah, that's don't what put I would me say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't put me there. That means you tick the first box <laughs> yeah. and then we can vote you in and you can say, why are you voting for me? I don't want it. Well, there you go. You, bad luck. You're in. People are going to vote for someone who they think would be good at the job despite them not wanting it. That would have a big impact. I can't see it actually happening, no. but I do think... Yeah, power corrupts and great power corrupts greatly. And so people who don't want the power would be better at handling the power, if that makes sense. That's a left field sort of solution that I can't see happening. So maybe it's pointless sharing it, but that's a No, I think, well, (laughs) these are the just, you know, ideas that I think are just interesting to talk about, even if Mm. it might not be possible, because you learn a lot from your lived experience Mm. and we don't value enough from Mm. our lived experience. And what you were just saying there made me think of, well, what if there was requirement to do some community service in the area that you're representing? Yeah. So if you were health minister what if you then had to go and do a certain amount of hours working on the ground Mm. in different areas of you know healthcare or something so you actually have a real life understanding of what you're representing yeah yeah definitely as a teacher it always sort of always felt weird about the fact that principals don't teach the principals that i've worked with have been great people and great at their jobs but i wonder if they would do that job are they going for that job so they can get out of the classroom and if you want to get out of the classroom then why are you why did you get into it you know it's a sort of weird idea Mm. but we could also expand on it and say probably a more practical answer for that question i think would be that there should be no political donations allowed in any form because and there should be no lobbying allowed lobbying should be illegal and political donations should be illegal We don't live in a democracy because it's really controlled by the people that have the money to make the donations to buy favour with politicians. And it doesn't make sense to me that someone who works and is employed by Cadbury, the chocolate company, could then get a seat on a board that decides what the government healthy eating website is going to do. It doesn't make sense that should the coal industry be able to donate to the environment minister. It goes back to the power thing you were talking about. It's all about power. And um, should the egg industry be able to fund science into studying the health of eggs? Of course they shouldn't. Like (laughs) They shouldn't be able to create whatever science they want to distort whatever's going on. Should tobacco companies be able to donate to the health minister? Of course they shouldn't, but they do. That's probably a more practical thing that's probably still equally unlikely to happen because good luck trying to find a group of politicians that say, no, thank you, I don't want anyone to give me any money anymore. And they're, they're the ones that vote on the system so maybe that's the answer I should have given (laughs) well I think both are good you know you have to uh, I don't know I think everything is worth talking about in the end it all starts just from ideas anyway yeah and if we don't realize our own power from from the community you never know what's possible I think um so the next question I have is is there a silver lining or what 
has been the biggest lesson that this experience has given you? It's about action for me. It's all about action. We get stuck in our thoughts. We go around in circles about, you know, what if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if this doesn't work out the way I want it to? Uh, or even what's the best way forward? You know, what sort of shoes should I have? What sort of podcasting gear should I get? I'm sure you spent a long time deciding what microphones and mm-hmm. what gear, like probably researched for hours and hours and hours and hours. And Then I bought and, a course to just tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever decision in life, we just spend so much time thinking and planning and wishing and hoping and dreaming and all that, and none of it matters. None of it matters in the slightest. It's just do. Doing is, is everything. When you look back on your life, you're not going to think, geez, it was good when I had those thoughts about this thing that I never did anything about. No, it's, it's all about doing. Life is about doing. We have to spend less time thinking. Thinking's good, but thinking is only good when it leads to action. We have to focus more on the action and less on the thinking. That's the thing for me. That's the biggest lesson out of all this. Yeah, I've sort of been learning that even one little step is still worth recognizing, you yeah. know, just with that action. Because I know I spent so long planning and thinking and, you know, hoping that I would get it together and make things happen and so many different ideas I've had or have at the moment. And to be kind to myself, I feel like I need to just recognize that one little step gets me that much closer is still worthy. Yeah. Even if it's a step in the totally wrong direction, (laughs) the smallest action is worth bigger than the biggest thought. Even if you take totally the wrong step and it goes totally the wrong way and it all just it doesn't, nothing happens the way you wanted it to. You, you just know not to go in that direction again and you can take another step in a different direction and eventually you're going to find you're going to step in the right direction and then you, you're away. But that's, yeah, it's, you learn that's why all, you do things. Yeah, exa- exactly. So my next question is what does quality of life mean to you? Quality of life, uh, well, I've been thinking a lot about happiness lately and quality of life is being happy. Whatever your situation, it's learning to be happy with whatever the situation is. And to me, we put a lot of time and effort into this idea of the pursuit of happiness. And I've realized in the last few months, when the more thought and effort I've put into this, and again, it's this is thought that leads to action, is that I think we've, we've made a mistake with this pursuit of happiness idea that we're always chasing something. We're, we're always looking for the next thing that's going to, you know, the next job or the next event or the, the next losing the next kilo or getting the next car or whatever it is. And, and none of it ever helps. And I, I think we've got it all wrong rather than looking for happiness in pursuit, even if it's pursuit of um, mental clarity or pursuit of oneness, I think really happiness just comes from avoiding regret. Mm. And so that's a, a theme of my life a little bit at the moment. The thing that makes us unhappy is that when we we put our head on the pillow at night and think, oh, I don't know if I should have had that donut or I wish I got out of bed earlier and went to the gym or I wish I didn't speak to my partner in that way or I I shouldn't have honked my horn at that little old lady or (laughs) whatever, I don't know, whatever it is. These are the things that bring us down. It's not achievements or a new car or, you know, the feeling of finishing a marathon. Those are, they don't last long, but those feelings that we get, this internal battle, this internal debate that comes from doing things that don't align with who we are and what we want to be, that's the thing that brings us down most of all when we do things that are run against what we value so yeah uh, um, avoiding regret is where it's at for me and that's that's the focus of what I try to do yeah I fully hear that what do you wish people knew about 
your experience? It's the mental side of things. That's the main thing I, I do at every chance I get. I try to tell people that this was not a weight loss journey. Yeah, I lost a lot of weight, but it wasn't an effort at weight loss. It was an effort to change my relationship with food and change my behavior. Yeah, learn to deal with my emotions properly without having to turn to food um, and just learn a healthier, more rounded way to live and be. And weight loss was a byproduct. It wasn't the goal. And I'm certainly happy with it. And most people that I talk to when they come to me for coaching, it's, it's still, hey, I want to lose weight. Help me lose weight. And I'll say, yeah, that's not really what I do. You know, you're going to lose weight. But if we're just here to lose weight, then we're also going to just put it back on. We need to fundamentally change who we are. Not fundamentally. You're still going to be the same person when, when, uh, when I'm finished with you. But you're going to view the world a little bit differently. And as a result, you're going to weigh less as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you get to a point where, yeah, you want, to, you want to lose weight. But by the time you get to your goal weight, it doesn't matter anymore. You see the world in a different way and you're glad that you weigh less. But the weight loss is never the most significant thing that you got from the effort. I have one lucky last question. What do you wish people would say or do to support you? And it could be before or it could be now. How do you wish people would support? From someone who is in a, in a position that they're struggling, you mean? So yeah. from before? Yeah. Not, nothing at all. I don't think there's anything that people could have done to accelerate you know, my change or make me change quicker. I guess the only thing is, is that stop making jokes, I guess, you know, people, especially with males, I think nobody would joke about a woman's weight. Well, people do, obviously I shouldn't say nobody, people do, but people understand that that's like a major taboo. You don't, yeah, you don't no tell, yeah. But the amount of times that I went to meet a mate or whatever and they're, wow, you've been in a good paddock. Look, you got fat, haven't you? And like, Jeez, it used to break my heart. It used to yeah. like people think that men don't care about it, but they do, and it was horrible. It was, those jokes were horrible, and uh, you won't find. Uh, well, you maybe you will, but uh, I've spoken to a lot of overweight blokes now, and they all say the same thing that you know you're supposed to joke about it, and you're supposed to act like it's water off a duck's back, and yeah, whatever. I don't care. I'm fat. Who cares? It's funny. Let's all joke about it. But it's heartbreaking. I think it's equally, or who knows, I'm not a woman, I don't know, but I feel like it's just as hard for men to hear that as it is for women and men are supposed to be tough and uh, feelingless, so we're allowed to joke about it and, and we shouldn't. Like. Yeah, and has this, everything you've been through, has it changed your humanness? Do you experience being human in a different way? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, life, it's all, yeah. It's, it's, life is about trying to find the best way to be a human and um, when you live your life closest to what it is to be human, then you're, you're happiest. So what does a human do? A human eats very simply. If you think back to, if you, well, you can't think back to hunter-gatherer times because you weren't there. But, <laughs> but really you know, if you, if you imagine hunter-gatherer times, <laughs> it's simple. You're eating simple foods. You're just eating what you can find in your local vicinity, which is not much. And, and what you can find is a lot of the same stuff. So you're you're eating very simply, you're moving a lot, you're talking to the people in your tribe a lot, you know, when the sun goes down, you go to sleep and it's a, just a simple existence. So I try to get close to that as I can. I eat very simply and I try to move more and I try to be uh, a little bit more community sort of minded than I did before and try to be more human. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm aware that you need to run out the door. Yeah, I so. do need to get going, but uh, yeah, we can do this again sometime. I've enjoyed also, this. Yeah. yeah, that would be fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming and meeting me and being able to see this awesome space. And yeah, hopefully we can chat again soon. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and thank you for the insightful questions and, you know, good luck on this podcast journey. You, you're clearly very good at it. So oh, thank I, hope you. You, well, uh, I hope it goes wherever you want it to go. So far, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. So <laughs> no, it's good. Very awesome. Good. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Spot up. All right. Welcome back. That was Andrew Taylor from SpudFit. You can find him online at spudfit.com. He has lots of courses and mentoring. I have done his online course. And one of the best things I got out of it is taking away the need for stamina when you are creating new routines and habits, actually making things easier for yourself, such as uh, he uses the example of food preparation and having the food with you so that before you go to have the thing that you shouldn't be having, you eat what you've got first and things like that uh, that I I've done for myself since really going like it's such an obvious thing but you know go yeah 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 yeah. I'll set it up I'll set it up and and never do it and so since actually doing things to make my life a bit easier it's really helped just in lots of little ways and I feel like it's a self-kindness you know it's a bit a bit of self-love and a bit of self-compassion so give his courses a go and if you're looking for mentoring hit him up Thank you so, so much for listening today. It means the absolute world. Come and join us as well on the Facebook group. That's some exciting news. We're getting a Facebook group and that way we can build a supportive, uplifting community there and keep having these conversations. I'm really excited to hear from you and your thoughts and feelings. And if you would like to support us, subscribe to our Patreon, following our Instagram and Facebook. Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us. Really, really helps people find us. Give us those lucky five stars. I just hear that the other stars don't work. And last but not least, thank you to Monique Egan for our rad logo, Sean Fox and Alex Clark of Artie Rex for our super dope theme song. Chris Bennett for additional editing, polishing, putting the pieces together, counselling me through putting this into the world and just all round smashing it. I will see you next week. And just remember, we're all only human. We're too human.